It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, good day, listeners, and welcome once again to the Two Jacks. It's our combination episode number twenty-three, and uh, we're recording this on the fourth of April. 2023, and joining me as usual is Hong Kong Jack, who in last week's episode predicted the coalition loss or the Liberal loss of Aston and has now become a level four necromancer. Uh, He's really moved up in the punditry world after that. I was uncertain, but uh, Jack was not. G'day, Jack. How are you today? G'day, man. I'm well. Uh, We'll get to Aston in a little while, but in Hong Kong, how are things there today? Well, tomorrow is another public holiday tomorrow. Oh, you love, love a public holiday. This is Ching Ming Festival, which is uh, to honour your ancestors, you go and sweep the graves. Right. Uh, now, now, we actually share some ancestors. We have mutual grandparents, but neither of us are going to turn up in Wodonga Cemetery and sweep the grave there, are we? You know? Uh, I drove through uh, Wodonga not so long ago, but it, yeah, it, it didn't come it didn't come uh, clear to me <laughs> that I should pop out, pop out there and do a bit of sweeping. I think there's a few at Wangaratta as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, all right, so enjoy your public holiday tomorrow. What's happening for Easter in Hong Kong, Jack? I, I presume it's uh, not more observed. public holidays. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you beauty. Uh, uh, and, and, and town's emptied out a little because uh, people, you know, living in Hong Kong and now the, the, the planes are flying again, people say, well, there's three public holidays in a week. That's a week off, you know. And they, it and is. They pop, well, and they pop down to Phuket or up to Tokyo or somewhere for the week. For the week. So, you get, yeah, you're going to have the Tuesday off and then the Friday. You may as well take the Wednesday, Thursday. I presume yeah. that Good Friday is a public holiday yeah, there too. Yeah, we get Good, good Friday. So, uh, so that's how it's worked. And the Sevens was on this weekend. So, um, uh, and for the... Uh, this we weekend had, this weekend coming or this weekend uh, past? weekend past. So... Right. Uh, uh, Plenty town, of beer sales there. Uh, yeah, town was full of uh, uh, rowdy um, uh, large chaps and chapesses um, uh, there for the rugby. Um, uh, the Kiwis won the women's and the men's. Ah, excellent. And, uh, the, the Aussie girls uh, took the silver in the, uh, in the women's. Uh, but it was all good, and the crowds were not back to their, uh, and the crowds around town are still not back to their pre-COVID levels. But they're getting better. Getting there, getting yeah. there. Excellent news. All right, uh, Australia yesterday um, uh, uh, learned of the death of Unapingu, dead at seventy-four years of age. Uh, some uh, rather wonderful tributes to the man. Um, uh, he was an absolute giant in uh, Indigenous uh, uh, calls for land rights and uh, inclusion around the country from uh, northeast Arnhem Land. Um, uh, he was, Jack, at 15 years of age, he was um, uh, petitioning government over what's known as the Yukala Bark Petitions um, <coughs> and, and seeking land rights then at 15 uh, and he has been an active, uh, an active participant in in the Voice and in Marbo and in every prominent um, 
every prominent advance that Indigenous uh, people have made in this country. Uh, just a giant, just a giant, Jack, and we've lost him. Mm. At 74, too young. Yes. Well, look, in, in Arnhem... Uh, in Arnhem Land terms, for males, he, he lived a good life. Mm. Um, he was, in fact, a kidney transplant recipient. Um, and uh, uh, there's some lovely words written by uh, my former colleague and friend, uh, James Jeffrey. I won't read it all, but uh, we will pop this up on the, on the Facebook page as a link to the Prime Minister's website. Uh, uh, and this is obviously, he, uh, Elbo has briefed James Jeffrey on this, but um, um, uh, James, uh, it, it's in James' rather beautiful words. Uh, it starts, Unipingu walked in two worlds with authority, power and grace, and he worked to make them whole together. Um, what he could see was not the reinvention of Australia, but the realisation of a greater one. With his passing, consider what we have lost, a leader, a statesman, a painter, a dancer, a singer and musician who always carried his father's clapsticks and felt the power they carried within them. Australian of the Year in 1978, member of the Order of Australia and a declared national treasure. Um, <clears throat> uh, it goes on to say, this is in Elbow's voice, when I spoke with him just over a week ago, I told him I was confident we would get there. That's with the voice. This brought him some comfort, as did his totems of fire and baru, the saltwater crocodile, which watched over him in his final days. Uh, I'm skipping forward, um, but uh, that's just for time purposes. It goes on to, to say, we will never again hear his voice anew, but his words and his legacy will keep speaking to us. Yunapingu now walks in another place, but he has left such great footsteps for us to follow here in this one. Absolutely beautiful words from James. Uh, and uh, you know you're a powerful figure in Australia when Prime Ministers ring you, not the other way around, Jack. Mm, indeed. So uh, this will give the voice some propulsion, but uh, we won't sort of dwell on that right now. What we do know, Jack, is that the Coalition is contemplating, as we record this within about 24 hours, we'll know just exactly what the Coalition's position will be. There's uh, some uh, talk in the Australian today that they will support the voice with some amendments and they'll sort of uh, belt the ball back over the net to to Anthony Albanese and say, well, we require these uh, uh, these sorts of changes, and they go along uh, the lines of the constitutional sort of grey areas that we've discussed, um, and it will be uh, down to the Prime Minister to respond. Yeah. Uh, I think as it is, as I said before, as it is, it will fail, in my view, um, and if you want to find out exactly why, have a look at my Substack, hongkongjack.substack.com, and I'll give you the chapter and verse of why I think the current view will fail, but... All right. Well, we, we are dealing with a level four necromancer here, so um, uh, uh, readers should be uh, uh, readers should be uh, perhaps looking at uh, looking at those things. You did actually mention, I think, uh, in last week's program, a forty percent chance of success. Hmm. Um, meanwhile, Jack, um, uh, when your punditry was absolutely spot on, Labor won Aston, uh, the first by election gain by any sitting federal government in Australia since 1920. 
And there have been an, an enormous number of op-eds predicting the demise of the Liberal Party. Jack, I'm just I'm just sorry my dad's not around to see it. Uh, he would have been dancing on the tables. Yeah, the, the, the dining room table would have been full of all the newspapers. Um, <laughs> yeah, that for a start. It would have made him very, very happy, a very happy man. He could barely stand to have Liberals in the house. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was his view of the world. Um, <clears throat> um, is it though? Is it is it the demise of the Liberal Party? First, let me explain why I thought Liberals would lose. Okay, Aston. Yes, I, I, I do apologise because this this takes us into where I think they are. I thought they'd lose Aston because I thought if you had rerun the last federal election last weekend, they would have lost by a lot more. And the reasons for that are that the government changed because that the electorate were tired of the Liberal government. They'd been there too long and they had a particular dislike for Scott Morrison. But they didn't really love Labor very much. They were distrustful of Labor. That's That was my view of the picture on election day. Now, since then, the electorate's view of... Um, Scott Morrison, that they didn't like him, um, has been franked. It's been endorsed, reinforced, by, yes. reinforced by um, what we do, what we now know about Scott Morrison, which makes him even less attractive. Mm. Um, secondly, the electorate's view that it was time to change the government's been reinforced, and thirdly, their distrust of Labor has been significantly lessened because the Labor government's got off to a pretty good start. All right. Well, so sound all of those all of, all of those things together suggested to me that um, the the federal election day wasn't the bottom of the trough for the Liberal Party. That things had gotten um, uh, in electoral terms a little bit worse since then, and that therefore the swing would continue. So that's why I thought they would lose. Well, Captain Stubbings on Twitter has another view, Jack, and he said, "I'm starting to think Hong Kong Jack is a genius." He said the Libs wouldn't win. Aston, I didn't believe him. Just another reason to listen to the condition release program. <laughs> oh, indeed, uh, the two Jacks, best podcast going around. Also sign up to the Patreon. So we thank Captain Stubbings for that, Jack, and he's declared you a genius. Uh, it's, that's never happened to me before, I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I it just certainly never happens I, in my domestic. Uh, 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 the, <laughs> the, the papers are full. There, there is a sense of glee around the Guardian. So certainly, in the, in terms of the analysis. Um, uh, uh, there is some pretty unhealthy-looking demographic stuff going on for the Libs at the moment. You've mentioned, in terms of reforming the party, you've likened it to uh, the Victorian Labor Party in the 1960s and 1970s, absolutely yeah. dominated by the socialist left, and, and, and as a result, largely unelectable. Uh, and... Um, um, 1970 was federal intervention, if my memory serves me right. That's right, yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> is, it, is it time for that kind of intervention to go on? Not just in Victoria, I'd say. Just, just hear me out just for a minute. On the, on the Senate and who sit in the Liberal Party room, you've got people like Jared Rennick, uh, from Queensland, LMP, but sits in the party in the Liberal Party room. You've got Senator Alec Antic. They're anti-vaxxers. They're conspiracists. They're throwing around all sorts of nonsense. Isn't it time to start 
scooping these people out of the party because they, in fact, you know, they are leading the, the party not necessarily to a right-wing extreme but to an illogical sense that, you know, that, 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 that I'm, I'm not entirely sure that we can attribute the, the result in Aston to this, but, um, um, but we can um, safely say that when people see um, the uh, the speeches from Jared um, uh, Rennick and Alec Antic, for example, they are, might be taken to the belief that that the Liberal Party tolerates this kind of nonsense. Well, well, in in the late sixties and nineteen seventies, the Labor Party had exactly the same problem. And what did they do? Um, they first of all they found in Victoria they found a group that were then known as the participants that became the um, the centre of the Labor Party, um, people like um, uh, the late Governor uh, Sir Richard McGarvey and um, uh, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, Michael Duffy and uh, John Kane Senior, um, uh, who uh, and John Button, um, who didn't form part of the either the right wing or the left wing in the party, um, and they backed them, and then they intervened in the party and changed the electoral system so that the left couldn't. So, so the old socialist left couldn't control every position in the party. So they broadened the they broadened the base of the party, if you like. And that took some time, and they, but they certainly had some um, uh, some left wing people in parliament and other positions they had to get rid of. You know, one, who were just who were just nutty. Who were yeah, just nutty. Yeah. And, and, um, and I mean, party head office was run by George Crawford and Bill Hartley. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, and this well, is the point. A lot I'm of our listeners up. won't remember I mean, not, who they were. They were, not but the, not that history repeats necessarily. But but um, but there are lessons to be learned from it. Yes, um, uh, uh, I recall that during the campaign. I mean, look again, Scott Morrison, as you made very clear earlier on, was on the nose. But but Morrison had to deal with comments made by Jared Rennick at the time that Labor's. Uh, childcare policy, and we've talked about it in terms of funding, but he took the view, Rennick that is, that uh, the universal childcare was a state control of children. And this is this sort of nonsense that gets about. And, of course, Stan Morrison had to deal with it and say, look, that's not our policy. It'll never be our policy. And so my question is, what are they doing in the Liberal Party? Well, they've got to do the... <laughs> Pretty much what Labor had to do. It's a it's a root and branch reform. There's just no no way around that. Um, uh, people want to get rid of Dutton, and I don't agree with that because there's no better alternative. I, I actually agree with you. I think that Dutton will stay. I think that Dutton has particular skills that are quite rare in politics. That ability to fire off a two sentence, three to four second. Uh, message. You might not like the message, but he has that ability to deliver it. And I don't and see tough. too many people else doing this, Jack. And he's tough and he's strong um, uh, and he, he's a good communicator. That's how I would characterise him. He, he, he also seems to be, um, despite his public persona, a pretty decent bloke. I think he's a pretty good pal of Richard Miles, the Deputy Prime Minister. When he was last in opposition, 
uh, and that was some time ago. He and I had a little bit to do with each other. And, and look, he did come across as a, a thoroughly sort of friendly and approachable guy. They tend to be in opposition, to be honest. They got a lot of time yeah. on their hands, one, and two, they're and, prepared and to they want, up with idiots like me. And they want someone who will talk to them. That's um, right. <laughs> so anyone who does talk to them, they they, they tend to be fairly approachable. There is a bit of a whisper, Jack, uh, that Karen Andrews, who, uh, who uh, is uh, former Home Affairs Minister and the member for uh, McPherson in uh, basically the Gold Coast, uh, and um, Paul Fletcher, the former Minister for Communications, member for Bradfield, uh, might be a new ticket coming along there, Jack. I, I mean, yeah, I, I can see would, why it ticks a, a box for Queensland, but Paul Fletcher, I mean, he would be deputy, but oh, he's incredibly dull human being, Jack. That, that would be a mistake. Um, for starters, I would as, think so. As, as, as we've gone into here between us before, uh, the chances of Dutton getting to the Prime Ministership are relatively slim because that's the fate of people who become leader of the opposition when you lose government. They hardly ever get to become uh, Prime Minister. Mm. Uh, but he's the man who can carry them a fair bit of the way. He's the, the, the good figurehead. And I was talking before about the friendship with Richard Miles, as is the way of things quite often with friendships across the House uh, between Labor and Liberal members, it's the Labor bloke who comes from the land of privilege. You know, uh, he's a, he's a Geelong Grammar Ormond College uh, uh, lad, uh, whereas Dutton was a Queensland copper. You know, well, I think I think if we look at the net wealth of both uh, both individuals, I think Peter might just have him covered. He might anyway. be in front <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just have him covered. And there's one by election that we uh, can safely say will occur soon, likely to occur. Uh, after the budget is handed down next month, uh, when Scott Morrison will finally uh, 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 sprout wings and fly back uh, to wherever he came from, Jack, which is the Shire, the, the seat yeah. of Cook. So uh, I had a quick look at the numbers there. Uh, about It was a significant swing in Cook against Scott Morrison, uh, much broader than the um, national average. Um, but uh, the Liberals hold it by 15%. <clears throat> it would uh, not be one that Labor would be expecting no. to win. No, I, 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 Captain Stubbings, I can assure you I won't be sitting on the <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't uh, require necromancy at a, at a level four level uh, to, to figure that one out. Um, Labor will run a candidate. The Greens will be there. One Nation will be there. There won't be a teal. Uh, and um, uh, you never know. There might be an independent uh, line-up, but um, uh, that would expect it to be a, a Liberal hold. Uh, one of the uh, suggested, uh, well, he wouldn't be parachuted in, uh, Jack, is the uh, former uh, New South Wales Attorney General, Mark Speakman, is uh, the, the uh, touted to take over the seat of Cook. Yeah, he, he wouldn't be a bad choice, I don't think. I think it'd be a good addition. But again, you know, everything's a bit shaky around the Liberal Party when, when they don't pre-select a woman. So mm. They've got to start doing that. Anyway, we'll uh, leave their travise, leave these people to their own pain, Jack. Uh, I'll be writing and a little bit. And there'll be plenty of pain. I'll be writing yeah. a little bit about me. Like, yeah, they're, they're, if they don't endure pain, they will endure much more later on down the track. That's my view. And, and that will be a, a big part of my column tomorrow, that it is time to weed some of these lunatics out of the party. Yeah. Well, as, a, as as someone who lived through it, you know, lived through the labour travails of that time, there's a fair bit of pain between getting between now and getting to where you want to be. Yeah. But if you do nothing, 
the pain in the end could be even more substantial, yep. existential, in fact. Um, the NDIS, Jack, um, uh, uh, Bill Shorten's uh, uh, purview now, uh, it's a, a, an enormous amount of money. I did see something pop up on Twitter, just a, a general comment from an NDIS person saying that uh, they so much welcomed what had, what had happened as a person with a significant disability um, and uh, they so much welcomed the introduction of the NDIS. But there are so many problems here, Jack, and it's becoming a money soap. That's not to say that people with disability shouldn't be cared for and shouldn't receive um, uh, shouldn't receive uh, proper funding and proper care. Um, but there are a number of problems uh, in uh, the NDIS that need to be resolved. There always are when you introduce a scheme like this. Um, uh, I think sometimes the designers forget about human nature and don't understand that if you introduce yeah. a scheme like this, there are going to be plenty of chances and grifters um, getting in there and doing their best to uh, to make an easy quick. Exactly out of it. right. That's the um, biggest part of the problem with the NDIS at the moment. And there's there's nothing you can do to stop that happening, except get the thing up and going, and then go back and reform it so that it works properly. You think Bill Shorten's the right man to do that? I think um, you're not a fan. I'm not a huge fan of uh, uh, Mr. Shorten, but uh, this this has been his baby for a long time. Oh, no, I, I think Bill can be quite a competent minister. I thought when he had delusions that he was the new Bob Hawke that um, uh, he lost me. Uh, yeah, well, it, you know, other people said that. Of I don't think he said it all himself, did he? But, but he, he, listened. He, he did listen when people said it. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> all right. Um, Labor Greens deal over climate change policy, Jack. Yeah. <sighs> You lead us off with this and I'll I'll get back to the Liberal Party. Well, it wasn't as bad as the wedding ceremony. It was that 2010 where... Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the optics. The optics, I think we're talking about here. The optics weren't great when you had, you know, the formal signing of essentially a coalition agreement. Yeah, which wasn't necessary in the first place Absolutely because the Greens were always going to vote with Labor, so they didn't need to have a formal document. Mm. But when they sat in front of the TV cameras with the sprig of wattles in their lapels, it just looked terrible. It cost them the next election, I think. Well, it was the start of that, I'd say, most definitely. Um, this time, of course, uh, Labor seems to have learned and that lesson, and um, and and there are no so so when when uh, some of the climate change uh, uh, legislation went through, in, including the mechanisms, um, there were no big hurrahs. There were no. I mean, there were there was Chris Bowen and other ministers making statements to the media, but the Greens were nowhere to be seen. They had. Uh, they had made their own arrangements with the media, and that seems to me that's that's learning, Jack, isn't it? Uh, that's a be- that's a much better plan. Didn't look anywhere near as bad. Well, this is the problem, Jack. So the the libs from a very early stage, and this is under Dutton, and we've just given him a bit of a rap, and we think he's the best man to take the party forward. But they've just gone no. They've just gone no. So they, so so they counted themselves out of making any amendments to the legislation. They just basically said it was really extraordinary thing to watch that business was in there um, uh, saying that Labor had Labor had, had had got a deal done and that they were reasonably pleased with it. There were some figures from various uh, uh, industry groups that weren't. Um, certainly weren't jumping for joy, but overall business handled this pretty well, and 
And uh, as Anthony Albanese said of uh, Peter Dutton, he seemed to take a vow of silence. I mean, he wasn't in the parliament when these things went through. So, or in the, in the reps when, when these things went through. So, uh, I, I just wonder if that was, and I not wonder, I think it was a huge tactical mistake that they no, should have stayed in, stayed in, and, and, and been part of a negotiation process. I'm not so sure, um, uh, and for this reason, I think that um, people's desire for action on climate change stops pretty quickly when it starts costing them something. Um, and and, well, and what this we're talking, if it starts what, costing people uh, money, and you're talking in generality. So, so I'm talking yeah. about safeguard mechanisms in particular, which yeah. were highly contentious. The Greens said, "Oh, then we'll, we'll 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 support it, provided that there are no new coal-fired." power stations, there's no new coal exploration, no oil exploration, and Bowen managed to wade through all of that and get this done. And really it was Labor and the Greens and the crossbenchers and and, and the Liberals basically uh, sitting around twiddling their thumbs. And I, 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 it was a terrible look. When we talk about optics, it was just a terrible, terrible look. And, and they really needed to, in my view, engage in that process. Yeah, no, I, I don't agree, and, and partly for the reason which I don't think we should be um, restricting um, exploration and development of coal and gas and, uh, and, uh, and, and oil, and the reason for that is the rest of the world needs us to be doing that to help them out, and if we don't, that well, will be Well, the safeguard mechanisms don't prevent that. The, the safeguard no, mechanisms... They do, really, because they make it too difficult to make the exploration. If you say um, there are all these hoops to go through um, uh, to get approval to develop the mine once you find the mineral, um, then people are not going to invest in it. Well, the the, the requirement is that, that the exploration be carbon neutral. So that would immediately involve uh, where there might be carbon emissions, there would be, that would immediately involve, uh, require the, the company doing the exploration or the, com- or the company doing the establishment of a mine uh, to, uh, to trade in carbon credits. Yeah, another scam. Well, potentially it's a scam, yeah. I've looked at some of the rural stuff. And no wonder the Nats didn't say anything, Jack, because um, all you got, all you got to do is they come up with thirteen hectares of land and uh, and uh, and don't grow anything on it. You don't have to do anything with it. Basically, just let the lawn, just let the grass grow, and uh, you can start issuing carbon credits. Yeah, I'm thinking about putting a few empty pot plants on my balcony <laughs> here and charging carbon you'll credits th- for it. You'll need 13 hectares, which will be a little pricey in Hong Kong, mm. I would imagine. Uh, but uh, there might be a bit, there might, might be a few spots around where I am, Jack. Uh, mm. We might uh, throw a bit of land around. Uh, Chris Minns, Jack, a very funny comment. Um, of course, you might have heard of... Uh, Mark Latham's uh, rather appalling tweet. So appalling was it that Pauline Hanson was appalled? Mm. Um, and uh, we won't that's, really... That's a very high bar, isn't that, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's right. And, and Mark seems to have gone to ground. But in the Daily Telegraph just reported, Jack, and I'm not trying to spring this on you, but I just came across this. Uh, Minns was talking to someone and uh, said of Mark Latham, look, he, he might be picking up backpackers on the weekends. We don't know. He's just that unhinged. So This, that was, this, this was, um, uh, it was said to um, the former State Secretary, Paul Howes. That's right. Yeah, uh, it's, and it's, mentioned Howes, yeah. in, it's mentioned in Paul Howes' book. So, uh, Mark, if you want to sue someone, sue Paul, not us. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, yes, it, and it, 
whole house was, and Chris Minns rang him from downstairs in the Sussex Strait office and said uh, that, um, I don't know what Latham's up to, but he's crazy enough to be a serial killer. Well, yeah, well, no, picking up backpackers, I think is the term, picking up backpackers on the weekends, I think was the term there. Yeah, look, one thing I'd say to Mark Latham's credit is he's not a sewer, Jack. He's not known to no. sue people for defamation, which is probably fair, given uh, given he's a bit of a trout mouth himself. Mm. All right. Uh, that's uh, Me- Meanwhile, Chris Minns has decided oh, yes, of course. No, mo- no mobile phones in schools from Term 4. I can't remember when Term 4 starts. Well, Term 4 is the start of Term 1, if you know what I mean, so it's late in the um, calendar year. Okay. Um, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how that will play. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how it it can be uh, can be uh, policed. It might might make life very very difficult for teaching staff. Um, uh, it's not unusual though for phones to be banned in schools. It's uh, it, and schools have set up their own bans about uh, they have about this. Uh, that, that uh, even uh, led to the sort of silliness where um, some schools, well, uh, 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 where the Labor Party policy included jamming devices around schools. Yeah, and um, I know a couple of private same- schools who do that. At the same time, some of the schools use the phones for, for logging in in the morning and all that sort of stuff. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Anyway, I mean, I, I just thought it's an interesting move very early oh, in the premiership. I don't think uh, – I don't think um, – oh, look, it won't lose him any votes. It's actually no. probably a pretty sound move, but, um, but it might have some logistical problems and I think there'll be some significant uh, policing issues around there. We were talking about going – well, we're going overseas now, over to France, where they just love to get out. And have a bit of have a bit of biffo, Jack, uh, on the streets. Um, and we talked last week of the lovely piece of it wasn't a photo; it was a lovely little video taken by um, taken by a writer um, uh, watching a couple of Parisians sitting down having a pan au chocolat and uh, with a, a heap of um, a heap of <laughs> a hulk of burning rubbish, uh, not more than ten meters away from them, and completely unperturbed by it. Um, uh, the, the French writers have had quite a good look at, Jack. Um, this is in regard to their pension scheme. And they have a pension scheme uh, which is far more complicated than I think it's been explained to us uh, by the media. Uh, the, the current retirement age is not 65, uh, not 62, but 65. However, people can retire at 62 provided that they have made um, uh, uh, <coughs> reasonable steps uh, for their financial uh, in uh, for their financial um, um, comfort, and um, uh, and uh, or and or that they are you know physically capable of doing the work. So it doesn't seem to be a whole lot. And have you seen the pension scheme in 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 France? There's a number of branches to it. It's all a little bit complicated, mm. as I say. It's not. It's not ungenerous, Jack. No, it's very good. It's actually, <laughs> we should think about putting the feet up there because um, uh, I think uh, just on their general pension, you can uh, you can earn as much on the pension of, as as around about uh, forty thousand euro, a bit over forty thousand euro. So that's not a bad little earn if you've got your own house and uh, a few bits and pieces stacked away. It's very good. Um, this is a, the same sort of problem we're looking at with the NDIS. Um, do you get to a point where, say, Australia has 
um, uh, 25 million people on um, on some sort of government benefit and 5 million people doing all the work to pay for it. Well, this is why, I mean, you know, and, and this goes to a broader problem in France, broader political problem in France. I mean, Macron, as we covered last year, was a re-elected president, um, but he lost his parliamentary majority. And now he requires support from the left, or indeed the far right, but he goes to the left. Uh, and, uh, and without that, he doesn't really have the capacity to get legislation through. So he decided to issue essentially an executive order over this and it has not gone over well. No, it hasn't. Um, uh, The pension spending is 14% of GDP in France. Yeah, it's a staggering amount of money and his answer to it is probably a blunt instrument and I think that has caused quite a lot of problems. The big riots in, is it Nantes, Nantes, uh, which is the... Um, sort of transport hub near the Atlantic in central France and, of course, Paris, where uh, La Place de la Nation is where the uh, most of the protests have been going on. Water cannon down, down the streets, Jack, a lot of fires, a lot of Molotov cocktails being hurled about. Um, it's, it's in Strasbourg and Lille and Saint-Étienne, Bordeaux, everywhere. It's all around the place. Yeah, it, it's actually gone. There's a bit of calm has has, has come across, uh, but uh, those the protest movement has uh, asked for them to be reignited uh, this weekend. So that will be on for young and old there. Um, what does Macron do there, Jack? Tough it out? Um, I think he's locked himself into a um, position where he more or less has to. Hmm. There are other things. But there the, are other but things. But that these can sort be of done. riots in the past have brought down presidents in France. Yeah, not often. I mean, <laughs> the French do take to the streets at the drop of a beret. Hmm. Um, um, uh, I, 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 there are other ways of funding this a little bit better, is what I'm suggesting, hmm. and that may, may make him unpopular in an other, perhaps another demographic, hmm. uh, but one that are perhaps less likely to hit the streets. Hmm. Uh, another another day, another mass shooting in the United States, Jack. And this was this is going back to the Nashville shooting. Yeah, um, well, that's sort of all been covered. What I thought was interesting, though, is that the um, the trans activists were were holding on. They actually stormed the Tennessee state capitol um, uh, to. Um, uh, demand protection for the trans community because the shooter, apparently, it's not altogether clear, was a trans person. Mm. Um, uh, and they were holding up their fingers in the state capital. I saw the video of this, um, holding up seven figures to say that there weren't six victims, there were seven victims. Including, including did they the storm shooter. the building? Did they enter they the building? They did storm the building. They did stormed they? the building onto the floor of the state of, of the capital as it was sitting, as the wow. uh, assembly was sitting. Okay. Well, there are big er matters. That's pretty nasty, but there are big er matters uh, in the United States right now. And of course, as we all know, uh, Trump has been indicted. Um, uh, 
34 counts of having falsified business records in the commission of a federal campaign finance violation. That's well, well, we'll we'll get the details. We'll of get the charges. The, well, yeah, that's but that's as today. close to detail as we as we will have. We'll have the details within 24 hours when he's arraigned. We've got firstly the deal with him surrendering, and I did see. I have seen various head, uh, headlines around saying you know, Trump in handcuffs will do A, B or C, but we won't see that image because, one, he won't be handcuffed. Um, he's surrendering himself, so it's not unlikely that he would be handcuffed. Uh, and then he'll be processed like anyone else who's arrested in New York State, and, um, and that involves a mugshot, which he wants released, um, but uh, New York uh, PD are not sure that they will release it. It'll be a much sought-after bit of um, uh, image, Jack, because um, it's very likely that uh, the Trump camp will use it as a um, as a as a funding device. Mm. Um, I, the- didn't, I didn't think the, I didn't think the Democrats were quite this silly, but it seems they are. Well, I've looked into Alvin Bragg. It's been going on, you know. It predates uh, his. Um, uh, election to uh, position of DA uh, and goes back to Cyrus Vance Jr.'s period, uh, and I looked at the um, uh, I've looked at the origins of this. Um, they were looking uh, at, a, at a whole raft of ideas, uh, at a whole raft of levels uh, to uh, prosecute um, to prosecute Trump. Um, <coughs> Uh, Bragg dropped a lot of these things and then said, "Well, we'll start from scratch." And then he's come up with this, with this prosecution uh, based on um, some financing arrangements he did for sort of hush money um, for the porn porn actress uh, Stormy Daniels. But I think there might actually be another one, a Playboy model who may also have been silenced with a bit of hush money. Now that alone, tell me, Jack, that's not an offence, is it? Well, it's not a, a felony. No, there, there are two problems with this. First of all, what they were investigating was Trump, and that's the wrong approach for law enforcement to take. You don't investigate a person; you investigate a crime. And well, how, secondly, would, you, how, how would you ever get to John Gotti? Well, are you <laughs> suggesting that they? That, no, that, I'm not that, suggesting it, but that, I'm that, suggesting that, that is precisely the approach that was taken. Yeah, but even when you're doing that with people like John Gotti, it's the wrong approach. It might be done for the right reasons, but it's the wrong approach. And certainly when you're dealing with a political figure, you don't investigate a person, you investigate a crime. Secondly, what uh, Bragg is trying to do was rejected by um, uh, two previous uh, prosecutors and and rejected by the feds. It's an untested legal theory, in effect. Um, uh, And it's... All it's done, all it's going to do, is deal Trump back into the into the political game, and it already has. He's, he's the the, vote, the votes are already in in that sense. The polls have shifted in his favour. Yes, we've seen that already. I mean, because, um, and, and that's and because we'll, we'll sixty we'll percent of Americans think that this this isn't on the up. They think it's a political. Um, yeah. a, a, Political prosecution. Bit early in- for that to be drawing those including, sorts of conclusions, Jack, without 30. the charge, without knowing the charges, without knowing the specific yeah. nature of the charge. A little bit early to be drawing, uh, drawing upon piles for all of that. What we might be seeing is a uh, a brief, a brief bounce for Donald Trump that will make it very, very difficult. Perhaps 
Uh, it is the weakest, and this is according to uh, Maggie Haberman and other journalists who have who claim they have some insight into what's going on at Mar-a-Lago. Um, uh, Trump, after announcing his um, uh, his uh, own indictment and arrest in New York uh, last week, uh, which went by with nothing happening, uh, was assured by his advisors, his legal advisors, that it probably wouldn't happen. Um, on this particular case, they were more concerned about the Fulton County, Georgia business, the January 6th business, which is with the DOJ at the moment, and uh, the uh, top secret confidential documents also with the DOJ at the moment. They were saying this is the problem. So let me take you through a scenario, Jack, where Trump is now perceived at least in this initial stage of being persecuted for you know political purposes, by thirty percent, by thirty percent of Democrats as well, I might add. Like I say, very early days. We don't even know who's been charged with, but but let's say that's the initial reaction. How will America deal with him if he's facing multiple indictments? Um, probably much the same. All right. Well, you think now, now, now? My solution to this, if you want to get rid of Trump, and I, again, I'll, I'll recommend you go to uh, HongKongJacks.substack.com. I think President Biden should President Biden should pardon Trump. Oh, that's bold. That's a bold, unthinkable move. But um, yeah, look, it's very interesting. I tell you what the the politics of this are. Greg Sheridan got it absolutely right today. The Democrats think that if they promote Trump. And to, to the point where Trump wins the, 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 the GOP primary next year, that they'll have him for dinner uh, in November. Yes. Yeah, and that's why I said I think President Biden should pardon Trump, but here's why he won't, and that's precisely the reason why. It's Joe's survival he's worried about. Um, he gets to be president if Trump's the candidate. Of interesting- he gets to stay president if Trump's the candidate. Yeah, a couple of interesting things. I think we sort of canvassed this briefly. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, made some fairly wishy-washy sort of remarks about Ukraine, a little bit of a gentle uh, nod to the Russians and then uh, uh, received a Wall Street Journal editorial board slapping for it and then following two days later was uh, was interviewed saying that he thought Putin was a war criminal who should be prosecuted in the Hague, despite the United States actually not being signatories to the Hague Convention. Um, uh, so uh, he's still in the game, but he really hasn't announced yet. So, yeah, much to be said. I think that's essentially the politics of it is that the Democrats think, and, and, and I'm not being so conspiratorial that to believe that Alvin Bragg is is um, uh, is uh, following some sort of party line, but Democrats generally in the Congress, let's say, believe that if they can propel Trump to towards a, a primary victory, they'll have him for dinner in the in the presidential election when Democrats and independents vote. That's Where their is- politics of it. Whereas an ageing Trump up against a youthful and energetic, say, Ron DeSantis will probably lose. Uh, sorry, an ageing Biden up against yeah, a youthful exactly, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, and and that's why a lot of harder heads in the Republican Party uh, are saying that uh, uh, Ron needs to really have some clear air. Um, but um, it'll be very, very difficult for him, uh, uh, certainly with this 
the, the very likely thing that will happen with this with this indictment, no matter how many counts and what counts there are, is that uh, Trump's lawyers will just move motion after motion after motion after motion to delay, 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 delay. They'll claim that he can't receive a fair trial in New York. Uh, they will claim, um, firstly, firstly, their very first motion will be that it will be that that the charges should all should all be dropped. They will just keep delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying. But they want they don't want the charges to go away. No, no, no. They want them going right through the through the primary. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, uh, it's going to be very it's very the, interesting. It's the best thing that Trump's had for his campaign for a while because his, the only energy in his campaign um, relies on that he was wronged. Um, he doesn't seem prepared to run on his record, even the even the parts of it that are quite good, not all good, but some parts of it are quite good. He's running entirely on the fact that he was wrong. So this gives that great new energy. Um, so yes, I think it's a, um, uh, a mistake from the Democrats, but they think it's good politics. Well, here's another take, Jack, that the mainstream media seems to want to campaign for Trump because they are invested at least because he is a human headline, you know, he's uh, a walking headline. CNN I don't buy that. <clears throat> CNN covered his journey from Mar-a-Lago to New York um, pretty much the way they covered the, uh, the OJ car chase. Um, uh, they had choppers in the air to follow the motorcade oh, yeah. from Mar-a-Lago to the airport. Um, and, and up in the top corner of the screen, there were um, there were uh, shots of the plane just sitting on the tarmac. You know, um, well, SBS uh, in uh, in their nightly news last night, Jack, they went with the old Trump plane footage. You know, the the, yeah. the, the plane itself with the you know when mm. when Trump mm. when Trump Air was around. Mm. I thought, come on, guys, you got to update that. Um, uh, they were, they were calling it on CNN Trump Force One, the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know also See, he, he's, Trump, Trump was so good for the media's business model in the United States, for the news media's business model. Um, he whacked up subscriptions for the New York Times and the Washington Post. Oh, uh, you know. Every time you look at the most read article in WAPO or the New York Times, if it's about Trump, it'll be up the top. Yeah. So um, they've, got, they've got some good financial reasons to keep him in politics. Yeah, well, yeah, keep him, keep him around. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, uh, the, the polls, you mentioned them before. Um, I, I honestly think a lot of this stuff's too early without knowing the charges. But I, I wrote about this last week that um, DeSantis had, had, uh, was doing quite well in Iowa and, and neck and neck in New Hampshire uh, on a uh, Trump v. DeSantis poll. Uh, but then the general poll across the country has Trump uh, ahead by the length of the straight. Uh, and, 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 and vastly more ahead be, uh, post the announcement that he was going to be indicted. Anyway, we'll see how that pans out. We'll see yeah, how it all uh, pans uh, out. I yeah. did notice that his donors, uh, he's raised, <laughs> this is why Don's the mugshot, because he's raised quite a lot of money on it uh, since announcing his indictment himself. And then when the actual indictment came through, they've raised over, I think, about $8 million in that period, mm. um, US. And uh, and, and 22%, according to the Trump camp, 22% of those donors were first-time donors. So that's yep. another thing, perhaps more mm. important than polling. Um, they were, uh, people were asked to provide a dollar to sign on as sort of 
original people. Um, honesty, Jack. <laughs> in polling, I don't know how this works, to be honest. I think a lot of polling companies just running around in circles in the United States. But voters were asked about the honesty of Joe Biden. 41% say he's honest. 54 say he's not. DeSantis, 41 40% say he's not. So there's an unknown factor there. There's about 19% have never heard of him. And uh, Donald Trump... Uh, as the twenty nine percent say he's honest, while sixty five percent say he is not. Mm, and the twenty nine percent were probably kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those push pole things, you know. Mm. We'll just have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, um, there is that. I suppose we've got to say, in political terms, when we start thinking about a presidential election, still a long way off. Possible multiple indictments for Donald Trump. You cannot forget that probably more than half of eligible voters in the United States think that Donald Trump's a crook anyway, without him being indicted or not. Yeah, so uh, it is one yet to be to, to pan out, Jack. But one thing uh, we don't need our necromancy level four. Um, uh, uh, punditry uh, arrangements for is that Donald Trump is going to be making a lot of headlines over mm. the coming weeks and months. Mm. Indeed. A particular bugbear of yours, Jack, is ESG. Firstly, explain what it is. What is ESG? This is the environmental and social and governance requirements that companies are, are putting on their investment decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's on the way up. Um, uh I noticed news this week was a coalition of 21 attorneys general in various states of the United States, of the 21 states, have sent a stark warning to dozens of financial institutions and asset managers, warning them against pursuing woke environmental and social initiatives. This is the initiatives where um, some of the hedge funds are involved in, (coughs) where uh, the ones called the net zero asset managers um, uh, initiative and the other one's called Climate Action 100 Plus and they require members to make certain climate com- commitments in all of their investments and the state attorneys general are arguing well you can't do that because you, were, uh, you have a fiduciary duty to invest to maximise your investors and your stakeholders' returns not we'll, to, we'll, we'll not get to, to that use their minute, money but, but just to give an indication BlackRock Manages more than eight point five trillion dollars. Yep. Has more than eight point five trillion US under management. Has leveraged client funds to push green transition policies to combat global warming. Now you can talk about fiduciary duties, but surely if we are talking about something as existential as climate change, Jack, I mean that would be immediately arguable in a court. I would have thought. Mm, I don't think they would win that. Now, of these 21 state attorneys, which one of them are red states, Jack? I think they all are. They all are. Pretty much all are. The the, the Montana, Utah, Louisiana. Um, Do you know, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, do you know know the origins of the word woke, Jack? Uh, Yeah, we started by the uh, African-American community. Exactly, right. And it's sometimes put in with BLM, Black Lives Matter and so forth, but it's a long way from that. Uh, A long way from that, in fact. Well, Well, it started out there, but it's moved a long way since then. Yeah, well, the language is fluid um, 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 uh, and and, uh, colloquialism drives our change in language and the words that we use. But 
I just think it's an odd and it's an odd word, and it needs probably to be replaced. But anyway, yeah. we'll see the, about the, the, ESG. The, the, let's just finish this. The, the point that the Attorneys General are making mm. is none of this is financially indefensible. Instead, it is a transparent attempt to push policies through the financial system that cannot be achieved at the ballot box, and that is spot on. Well, it, <laughs> what I'm saying to you, Jack, that they can mandate whatever they like, but it is arguable that if you are looking at green policies that move away from catastrophic climate change, then that is part of their fiduciary duties as well. I mean, if you're going to say we're going to invest in an oil exploration uh, area knowing full well that its carbon emissions will contribute to catastrophic climate change, then you're doing the right thing and steering investors away from it. Uh, that's a political choice, not a fiduciary choice. No, that's a legal that's choice. A, that's certainly a legal argument to make. Yeah. All right, we'll keep an eye on that jacket. I know it's one of your. I know it's one of your bugbears. Um, all right, uh, we've talked about lockdowns and school absenteeism. We talked a lot about lockdowns last week, or I did. <laughs> talked a lot about Sweden and, and uh, some very silly op-eds that were written about it. But there is a, a reality about lockdowns having kept a lot of kids away from school who were probably battling there in the first place. And now we've got some figures in from the United States, Jack. Yeah. Um, reading skills down to their lowest point in 30 years, nearly 48%, 40% of, of eighth graders who couldn't understand basic concepts uh, and the commentator said, this is not just poor kids who are living in the urban centres, it's all over America. There's been a dramatic drop in, uh, in the various scores. Uh, this goes along with the loss of students school, in school, with increased violence that's happening and the behavioural problems that kids are facing. In my career of more than 45 years, I've never seen anything like this. That's the US, isn't it? Mm. That's the US. We're talking yep, about it. There's a US. fellow quoted there by the name of Canada. Is that correct? Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and also we've got uh, the chief psychologist at Southern California's Children's Hospital in Orange County, uh, Heather Husty, who said she can't believe how many kids needed help. We have seen an increase of 50% in the number of children presenting to our emergency department from the beginning of the pandemic to last fiscal year, and those are kids with serious mental health problems. I presume this, uh, kids were in some sort of mental health crisis. Yes, what we're saying, she's uh, 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 what we're saying, uh, she says here, is it was burning embers even before the pandemic and the pandemic came and just threw gasoline on that fire. We're seeing more and more kids come in who are having suicidal thoughts. We're seeing more and more kids come in who are like, my grades have dropped, I can't function anymore. And if we don't help kids sort of manage some of these mental health concerns, they can't learn effectively. These kids are struggling. What are we doing about that, Jack? Because that, that is real crisis response stuff right it is. there. Um, <clears throat> I, don't know. I, I, I don't know how bad the problem is in Australia. I was talking to um, uh, a, a child psychologist I know and she said it seems to be a bit the same. She, she's going to be busy for a long time. Mm. Um, uh, <clears throat> well, yeah, I think... We've got some major issues around children. They are, in fact, to forget petrol, oil, coal, uh, trees, whatever you like. Children are 
uh, our, our greatest asset, and we need mm. essentially to do to do something there. I mean, it may need some major structural reform to education, and it certainly needs some uh, some crisis money in terms of mental health. Piers Morgan reacts to a rerun of his tweets on vaccines. Yeah, he was very pro-vaccine, more so than you. Um, oh, uh, and, and and very pro-vaccine mandates. And I think at his peak, he was suggesting that um, people who weren't vaccinated should be um, restricted in their access to um, uh, Oh, healthcare. yeah, that's a bit much. That's, yeah. a, that, that's a bit much. Um, uh, and he was, he was tackled on this on Twitter, and, and his response, I thought, was quite good. Uh, it doesn't forget that he's told that the internet doesn't forget these things. And his response was, it doesn't forget these tweets because I never deleted them. I changed my mind after it was confirmed that the vaccine didn't stop transmission and it sh- and I shouldn't have been as self-righteous as I was anyway, given the COVID science guidance kept changing. That's a textbook good response from a situation where you've made an error, um, you come back and just say, yep, I did. Well... <laughs> The stop transmission thing is a bit of a furphy. Let's just get that out there. The, the stop transmission stuff is a bit of a furphy, and it relates to response given by a Pfizer executive of the European Parliament that the contracts issued uh, by EU nations uh, did not require a vaccine to be created that um, that uh, reduced transmission. And that was done for a simple reason, and the simple reason is that they couldn't develop a vaccine that reduced transmission, that guaranteed reduced transmission without taking many, many years into research and development. Does the, does the, uh, does the COVID vaccine reduce, not stop, but reduce transmission? And the answer well, is well, Piers probably Morgan was talking yes. about stopping it. Piers Morgan's comment is about stopping it, and that's what he thought it, that's what he thought it was going to do. But I don't think anyone should have thought that then, and 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 really right, really right now to sort of admit that means that you know he must have thought. Did he think? Does he think that the influenza vaccine was going to stop influenza, the transmission of influenza? Because it doesn't. No, but he he was probably listening to the people on the television, like the president of the United States, etc., who were saying that it was going well, to. Well, so yeah, don't go. kill granny, that sort yeah. of stuff. He actually yeah. Joe Biden did say that, but there's mm. there's much to be said about that. You know, there is much to be said about that, and I think a, a lot of the discourse has gone the other way, and and it's and it's really playing into the hands of the anti-vaccination crowd who are still around. Um, in fact, there's. A couple of Liberal senators that I'll be writing about tomorrow that we've mentioned earlier, Jack. Uh, one one reckons it's uh, uh, is responsible for diabetes deaths. That's Rennick. Oh, and Rennick again, who thinks that the vaccine is actually related to our uh, elevated rates of HIV infection, Jack. Mm, odd business. Electric vehicles, Jack, they're here, they're coming, they're fantastic, and you owe me lunch, or do I? No, I don't know. Uh, uh, they found another little problem with them. Um, if you damage an electric vehicle, they pretty much don't repair it. They say that because if the battery's damaged, they don't know how to repair it and keep it safe. So if you damage your Tesla, it just goes straight to the junk shop and they, they, they sell you a new one. Well, they're talking about damaging Telstra's, uh, Teslas, I should say. Um, uh, there have been, I think, some uh, re- a record just in the last 12 months of 
what we call 300 automatic or sorry involuntary braking episodes jack and it relates to the self-drive stuff and um uh elon uh, uh, came to um, some, came to some conflict with his engineers. There, there are, I think, eight cameras on a Tesla, and they are, and a self-drive Tesla, and it's picking things up all over the planet and responding. You know, it was saying you could basically go to sleep. Um, they were having problems rolling out the self-drive stuff, and Elon suggested that they remove the radar, which they ultimately did. And the engineers were getting quite alarmed about all of this and, and actually sought uh, the intervention through an, uh, of, of Elon through, through another engineer. It's since then, and there was an announcement made in 2019, which put Tesla's stock price through the roof, um, that they were miles ahead of Alphabet and Apple in terms of the self-drive car. And since then, we've had a number of these involuntary braking episodes, Jack. So if you're yeah. driving behind a Tesla, I know you're mainly in cabs these days, but if you find yourself behind a Tesla, tell us, just tell the cabbie just to back off a couple of minutes. Yeah, just yeah. well, uh, I don't have to bother driving. I sit in the back seat of a Toyota Crown Comfort. Yeah. <laughs> I saw they're still around uh, in Hong Kong, the Toyota Crown Comfort. It was a, it was a beautiful car. I haven't made them for a long time in, in Australia. Of course, we haven't made any cars in Australia for a long time, but they, uh, Toyota were not making them here. Um, I did notice also, Jack, that the price of lithium, while high, is likely to drop. Um, due mainly to a lot of exploration and a lot of mining in Australia. All right. Oh yes, <laughs> we have the Jack Elliott. We have this week's Jack Elliott Award, Jack. Uh, and just to explain to our listeners who haven't heard it before, the Jack Elliott, oh, the Jack Elliott Award is is handed out to people who shouldn't really litigate um, for a whole host of reasons. They may have, as Jack Elliott once did, narrowly escape uh, criminal sanction and then uh, in a fit of hubris decided to sue and end up, uh, as we often say with Jack uh, Elliott, uh, watching uh, watching his under, underpants and socks going around the laundromat on a Wednesday night in a very bad way. Uh, so who have we got here, Jack? Uh, well, the very good writer, Marina Hyde, I don't know, I don't know whether you read her stuff. Writer, in, very in, funny. In the, in the Guardian, um, excellent writer. Uh, she was covering the uh, the Paltrow the, the the um, suit, the uh, the ski suit, yeah, the ski suit in Utah, um, uh, and uh, she's very funny about it. So it's well worth a read. I won't read it to you. Look look up Marina Hyde in the Guardian. You'll find it. Um, she was she referenced some advice she got some time ago from a lawyer, and that advice was never litigate. Never litigate unless it's absolutely avoidable. Unless we're talking about some serious crime, which is ob- obviously different, then don't just don't go to court. Mm. Do anything to avoid it. It is totally consuming and it weighs on you in a way it never could for all the legals making money off it. In the months and even years you wait for your case to be heard, it'll be the first thing you think about when you wake up and the last thing on your mind when you go to bed at night. Absolutely, and and when you well while you fall asleep, very early in the morning, I might I might I suggest too that the meter's running. You can just hear it tick 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 yeah. in the background, and those are your lawyers charging you vast amounts of money to to do this. It's excellent, please. Marina Hyde is a joy. Read everything that she writes. Um, uh, 
But I did see, I mean, poor old uh, Mr. Sanderson, the, uh, the the plaintiff, got rolled. Uh, there were uh, brain scans uh, brought forward to the court that showed that he had mental health uh, or deteriorating brain uh, issues um, well before the accident and so forth. And uh, and then, of course, he did lose. And, and um, she had uh, a uh, symbolic punitive damage of a dollar payable. But, of course, he'll, he'll have to endure all of the costs. Mm. Um, and, Pal- and Paltrow just whispered something into his ear and she left the court, Jack. What do you think that was? Oh, I don't know, but, but, but she wished him well, I think. Was that, that the story? That was the story. I personally think it was buy, buy Gloop Skin Products 15% yeah, off. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Use this code. F- Even if you don't need the vaginal off. steaming, you know. <laughs> well, she had a win there and an important lesson for us uh, – uh, from Marina Hyde, who is one of the great uh, joys to read, uh, her takes on politics, uh, society, etc., absolutely wonderful. Jack, uh, something, something in your neck of the woods uh, and sort of mine, certainly my father's, the Ovens and Murray League. Yeah, this right. is a great story, I reckon. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, the, uh, the, the, well, just, the, just, just, just to explain, sorry, just to explain to our listeners, um, some of whom may not know the uh, your old stomping ground, but the the Ovens and Murray League is a footy comp uh, in and around uh, in and around the border towns, Wodonga, Albury, Wangaratta, um, and uh, go, I guess with the Ovens, it's going all the way down almost, yeah, Yarrawonga, yeah, yes. those sorts of places. Uh, it used to be pretty much the second best uh, football competition outside the VFL back in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, the Yarrawonga Footy uh, Club, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a, 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 I've been to their rooms. They're, um, they're, uh, they're very, they're quite stylish. Yeah, well, I, I think um, Bob Rose left the uh, uh, Collingwood as a, in his mid-20s to go and captain coach uh, Wangaratta Rovers in the Ovens of Murray because there was more money in it. <laughs> um, anyway, but the team who won the, um, the, the, the grand final last year, Wangaratta, uh, have just taken, the, had their premiership taken off them or, um, because they, uh, they went over the $125,000 salary cap by $28,000. Uh, and Yarrawonka were the losing team in the grand final and they issued a, a press release as follows. At the 2022 Ovens and Murray Grand Final, Grand Final, our club watched three of our teams put on performances of which to be proud. While so much focus on sport is on the winning, it hide what, what makes it great, watching young people overcome obstacles to seek to be their best. Um, that does, does not always mean you win on the scoreboard. As a club, we are proud of the performance and resilience, resilience displayed by our first 18 to keep coming and nearly overcoming Wangaratta. The match was a great contest. Each player prepared, trained and competed all year to put on a wonderful spectacle. The match afforded our club the opportunity to win, however, the better team on the day won, and they don't want the premiership. They don't want the premiership. They've declined, uh, I guess, the offer because, of course, uh, uh, Wangaratta will have to surrender it, but yep. they, they don't want uh, – Yarrawonga don't want it in its place. Wonderful words from uh, the uh, president of uh, Yarrawonga. They call them the pigeons, uh, Ross McQuinney. Uh, well yeah. done, that man. 
they wear that they wear their Geelong uh, jumper, the blue and white uh, hoops. Yes, I've had a few beers down uh, at the Arawonga uh, Footy Club, Jack. Um, so, so have I. I can, I can probably still sing the song after a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're ahead of me there. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, used to have a. Well, I've been to quite a few PSMs there. Yeah, two or three. Yeah. In the AFL, Jack, we just quickly got to go into this. Uh, I got five out of nine in my tips um, this weekend, and I was going to tip the Gold Coast. I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but I was going to co- tip the Gold Coast, and I thought, well, I'm tipping the Swannies to beat Melbourne, which is a bit of a roughie, so I'll I'll go with the Cats. Um, and I was completely wrong. Got ended up getting both of them wrong. The Cats now zero and three, reigning premiers uh, on the on the bottom, Jack. Yeah. And uh, um, we've, uh, we've seen North Melbourne uh, win a couple of games. They're up off the off the bottom, uh, and uh, but they were beaten by Hawthorne, who looked to be the likely wooden spooners. And the poor old Eagles, they copped about four, I think four or five, uh, sort of season-threatening injuries in one in the one game, the Derby or Derby, depending on where you come from, against Fremantle. Fremantle won, but West Coast Eagles too. Showed a great deal of courage to keep to keep fighting all day because they had no bench, and the coach was down on the bench and he looked around. He had no one to talk to um, because they're all uh, all off in the injury room. Um, who looks good so far? I mean, Melbourne absolutely thumped uh, Sydney uh, at the MCG. They look yeah, Melbourne and Collingwood look good. Yeah, Collingwood look very good too. And the um, Saints look okay as well, I hate to tell you. Saints are zip, or three and zip as well, and going along beautifully. It's the sort of footy we didn't, you know, they're playing the sort of footy that we perhaps thought they might be able to play but just didn't seem capable of playing. So that is just straight on the coach, Ross Lyon, the recently appointed very successful coach at St Kilda earlier and, of course, Fremantle before that. They're playing good footy. Um, yeah, we've got uh, the Easter weekend round, and Jack, good good Friday coming up. We've got we've got one game on the AFL. Were very very reluctant to do this, weren't they? Mm. Um, and uh, now they've done it. They copped a bit of criticism for it. I mean, it, it reminds me of it was the most loathed day of the year. Was Good Friday because just nothing happened, you know. The shops were closed. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go anywhere. And just about do anything. Yep. Uh, NRL, Jack, you've been watching much of it there. Um, Ricky Stewart, and I do like to see Ricky Stewart in a bit of strife. He is um, uh, he, they're flannering on the bottom as well. Uh, basically, I think they have one win. Uh, and the mob that are uh, uh, undefeated at this stage, the Broncos. Yes. Uh, uh, and also Jack Cricket Australia. Let's just get to them because they're about to start issuing contracts and they say the big the big winners will be those fortunate few to make it into the Big Bash League and also women's cricket. And the, for the first time ever, we will see women's cricket cricketers be, uh, enjoying million-dollar contracts. Good thing. Uh, well, uh, it's up, up to Cricket Australia to make a business model for a business argument for it, isn't it? You know. Well, I think they yeah, I think they've done that, and they're, and they're saying this is where their money should be going. I mean, if, if if we're just doing it on achievements, 
<laughs> and uh, Meg Lanning's Meg Lanning's team uh, should be uh, getting probably a few dollars more than uh, than um, uh, than the men's team. Yeah, um, but you, but you you've got to be able to oh, draw, I I, draw eyeballs on television and people on seats. No, well, I, I I keep coming back to this st- statistic that they are the best performing team in any sport anywhere around the world. Uh, the Australian women's cricket team, absolutely sensational. Now, Jack. Take us out, if you wouldn't mind. I love this little story in Germantown, Maryland. Yeah, we were talking talking a couple of weeks ago about the um, the uh, thieves who had mistakenly driven driven an electric vehicle with ran out of charge before they could before they'd made a proper getaway. This is even better. Some young crims. I've seen the video. They carjacked a uh, uh, a chap who was filling his car with petrol. Um, at a at a what we call a servo, uh, yeah. and and they they Gas station. Hooked, they hooked him out of the car, jumped in the car, and went to take off, <laughs> and discovered <laughs> that the car had a stick shift, as it's known as in the United States, a four on the floor, and because and they were young teenagers, they couldn't operate it, so they had to <laughs> abandon the car and run off into the afternoon. They would have got grabbed fairly quickly yeah, afterwards, yeah, I yeah. would imagine. So, so we so we need some we need some upskilling programs for our young thieves. Um, uh, you know, uh, make sure you charge the car before you head off for a job, uh, and pick a pick a, an auto vehicle if you can't drive a manual. Yeah, yeah, big mistake there. It goes into that rather long list of dumb crooks um, that, that uh, we see quite a bit of. Um, I saw um, I saw a guy, um, and this is this perhaps goes on a, a fair bit more than we realise. But charging stations in in the United States, people will go and basically charge their cars, and then they walk away from them for 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long it takes. And people will just come up and pull that out and go, "You're not there. I need to go now." And this happens quite a lot. Um, where people are, are coming back and finding their uh, their cars are not charged and uh, they have to join the queue again. Um, that's And it is a huge part of the problem in the United States. There's just not the charging infrastructure there. Mm, dear, oh, dear. Well, will they get enough cars on the road for me to buy you lunch? You still me as you still be buying me lunch. Don't worry about that. Um, uh, Elon Musk on Twitter, he's come up with some big statements lately, but this one, he's shown a little bit of wit. With uh, Jack, yeah, yeah. The um, uh, he, he says it's an old joke about agnostic technologists building artificial super intelligence to find out if there is a god. They finally finished and asked the question, uh, and artificial artificial intelligence replies, "There is now, motherfuckers." <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it has been predicted as our most well, one of our most likely. Um, Apocalyptic moments uh, when machines basically just completely, or AI just completely takes over. Now, Elon did, in fact, say, if we just want to draw it back to Trump, um, that uh, the image of Trump in handcuffs would deliver him the presidency in a landslide, Jack. I don't think that's right, but it it certainly dealt him back in the game. Yeah, yeah. Not everything that Elon says is absolutely gospel, Jack. 
Not everyone, anyone says it absolutely gospel. No, oh, no you, and I, you and I are notwithstanding, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, no, absolutely right. Elon, well, he's a black, he dropped 200 billion in a year, so he's, uh, he's set a fairly high bar for, for failure for a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, uh, just, one th- just one thing to finish off with, uh, a death this week uh, of, of a lyricist called Keith Stewart Brian Ree, born in uh, October 1946, and you probably don't know who he was, but you'll know his work. Just two bits of his work. He wrote What a Shade of Pale, uh-huh. uh, the lyrics for that, and he also wrote the lyrics for John Farnham's The Voice. Oh, did he? Oh well, that's a that's a famous cooker song now, Jack. That's, yeah, that's but that's 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 not a bad. Playing in royalties, but yeah, that, that's not a bad double for um uh, for anybody to to make, you know, because those songs are absolutely uh, cross generational. People still know them, even though they were born twenty five years after they were they were recorded. Now, just just to finally wrap it up, and uh, I was leading that way anyway when we were talking about Elon. Um, have you got a blue tick? No. I don't have a blue tick either. And apparently, I think tomorrow, as we record this, on, no, no, it might be today, later today, uh, American time or Pacific time, um, The you know you'll have your feed with uh, For You and the people you follow. Hmm. The For You's will only um, now come from blue ticks. That's what Elon has, 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 has promised us, so... Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about giving uh, giving a billionaire what about uh, twelve Australian dollars every month to, um, to provide uh, content to to his website? Well, uh, I, I see LeBron James. He's got a bit more money than you or I. He says he's not paying his five dollars or whatever it is. You know. <laughs> Wasn't that uh, the five the five thirty eight guy said made an exactly the same point? I'm not paying. I'm not paying to provide him content because um, that's essentially what Twitter is, and this is what I think Elon is not getting uh, that the the people who post for good or ill, and for whether it's bad or or good or, or funny or not, um, are providing the content to that particular website. We'll see yeah. how it goes. Well, we'll, see, we'll see how it pays out. He's making a, a, what I think is an understandable attempt to make this company make money. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I just don't think it's. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, so we'll see. We'll just see what happens if it collapses. Uh, in the meantime, well, Jack, that wraps up our show today. Um, you enjoy your festival. Your Qingming uh, Festival, I hope. Yeah, I've well, got the I'm, pronunciation I'm a bit correctly. light on for ancestors here, so I really can't go and sleep <laughs> there. Great, get out there with a brush and shovel. No, um, no. Uh, but um, uh, you'll be enjoying uh, the other festivities associated with the festival. It's two and a half thousand. I've just looked at this. The Qingming Festival started over two and a half thousand years ago, Jack. Yeah, it was uh, it was formalised in about 750 AD, I think, as a public holiday. Wow. Yeah, so enjoy all of that. Uh, perhaps go out and uh, give people a bit of a hand if they haven't got the brush and shovel. Let them sweep, give them a sweep down of, uh, of, other, an- of, of other people's ancestors, uh, graves and what have you, and then uh, get along to the pub by about four o'clock and enjoy yourself. Indeed. Oh, that's precisely what I'll be doing. Uh, excellent work, Jack. And, look, th- thanks, uh, once again, to our listeners for hanging in there with us. Uh, we've covered a hell of a lot of territory today. 
Uh, and uh, we just want to remind you that uh, if you want to get in t- contact with us, um, you can hit us up on the conditional release program at gmail.com. Uh, we'll get those emails sent on to us. Or you can hit me up on Twitter. D- on, on my Twitter, DMs are always open. That is, of course, the thing hasn't exploded in the next week or so. Uh, and you can get uh, uh, get to Jack by uh, – it's Hong Kong Jack Substack, is that correct? Yeah, hongkongjack.substack.com, and you can come along and tell me why I'm wrong about the voice and you never laugh about why Joe Biden should mm. pardon. Is that the John Farnham one or the – or the um, oh no, I see, the I constitutional see. recognition yeah. voice. <laughs> okay, sorry, so, all right, yeah, a bit of confusion there. All right, now, um, yes, so, so thanks, listeners, and we will see you next week, or at least hear from us. <laughs>